what do you love first? Right? And they say, I like mechanics. Good. You can be in agriculture. What do you love? I love art. Good. You can be in agriculture. You can be creative about creating brand work for agricultural companies. Uh, I love animals. Good. You can be in agriculture. You can be a vet. You can look after animals. Um, oh, I'm into um, the environment. Okay. Well, you can be in agriculture. Well, we certainly hope, as you guys are listening to our podcast, that you are starting to see the similarities between things that people love and are interested in and the opportunities in agriculture. But if you haven't yet, well, maybe our next guest is just the person. So welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, And as always, thanks for tuning in. I absolutely love and I've got a passion for sitting down with these different people, uncovering their stories and being able to share them with you because I take so much out of them. And I love seeing the feedback that you guys share as well. This week, we're sitting at the Riverine Plains Innovation Expo. We're on Yorta Yorta Country. And uh, the beautiful Lake Mawala has finally filled up. It was full of tree stumps last time I came through. And my next guest is Ben Barlow. From his earliest memories around agriculture, hard work has definitely been placed front and centre. Since then, and with a little bit of high school involved... Ben did find that uh, you could still value hard work, but there was definitely a few other things in life. Ben was encouraged to get away from the family farm after finishing his university studies, and so he headed out to Mildura to become a bank teller. Well, that kick-started a career in banking, which took him right across Australia, leading the business banking area, and then over to the US. There was never any doubt that Ben would be involved in agriculture. As he says, it's something which just doesn't leave you. It's not easy ever, but in the hard work and perseverance comes opportunity. And today, Ben looks at the importance of agriculture in the mainstream with global issues like carbon, soil fertility, lack of water, lack of arable land, a growing world population. And all these huge mega trends are things that we are really passionate about talking about here at Humans of Agriculture. After finishing his role in banking, Ben headed to Israel. He was looking at water technology, initially from an investment angle, and he came across these things called biologicals. Well, he extended his trip, started finding out a whole lot more and studying them deeply, came back to Australia and found three companies here which are working in the space. Fast forwarding to today, Ben is now a majority shareholder and is the managing director of New Edge Microbials. They're taking Australian biologicals to the world. And in a nutshell, well, you're going to hear a bunch about biologicals later in the episode. But what they are, it's placing beneficial bacteria on seeds these beneficial bacteria then jump on into the ground. They boost efficiency, nutrient utilisation, and ultimately soil health. So, if this is a topic that you'd love to know more on, there were things which I didn't even realise when I was on the farm that we were using them. Let us know and we can do a bit of a deep dive into it. Enjoy the chat. Oh, are you able to just introduce yourself and, um, and what you're up to at the moment? Oh, righto, Ollie. That's always a hard job to introduce yourself, but um, I'm an old school, long generation farmer person, you know, and there's plenty of us like that in ag, but had a history and career and that took me outside of farming for a while and into corporate life and learnt quite a bit there, you know, as you do, scars and all. And, yep. uh, and nowadays, having had lots to do with farming, sort of invested beyond farming um, into you know stuff pre and post farm gate, and I guess the main interest for me at the moment is this new enterprise that we brought into the stable called New Edge Microbials, which is actually a very old business. It's 
20 year old and been selling biological things in agriculture for years and developing them but of course it's becoming mainstream now and that business is starting to grow. So just in the right uh, place at the right time now? Maybe, luck perhaps or a bit of planning, don't know. Yeah, well tell me, I, I want to know um, back to where it started, you're, you're a country boy, you grew up on the farm. Yep. yep. Well, what do you reckon your earliest memory um, in and around farming is? Uh, for me it was all about hard work, our family was traditional typical farmers, we worked instead of played, I guess that's how we got ahead. You know, we, we, that was what life was all about, you know. Work came before playing footy and things like that um, until we went to boarding school and then we learnt that there was more to life than work. Sometimes you could actually play a bit of sport. Um, I grew up in that time when interest rates were really high. You know, that was in my late teens, early uni. So I watched the struggles that my parents went through and all of the farmers of that generation you know, with high interest rates and we were shooting sheep, they had no value. Wheat was $100 a tonne. And it was also at a time where that generation expanded and bought land to support their families. So they were exposed in the sense that they were trying to grow their business, but they also had this unbelievable headwind of high interest rates and tough seasons and tough commodity prices. And my old man said when I finished uni um, and I wanted to come home to the farm, he said, you're bloody mad. He said, go and do something else. Um, and there was a bank teller's job in Mildura on. And so I left with a really good degree at uni after three years to become a bank teller. So tell me, after like doing, like growing up in such a hard time, why did you, why did you still want to be involved in agriculture? Well, it's in you, isn't it? doesn't leave you. Agriculture is not easy, ever. Yeah. It's, it's got its good and bad years. Um, and it doesn't leave you. Um, if you look at agriculture differently, there's lots of lenses to look at ag, Ollie. Um, you can look at it through the lens of being in it. Um, you can look at the lens from creating a, a better form of agriculture. And only in the last 10 years has probably agriculture's become, what I say, quite a sexy industry. You know, it's, it's not in the background anymore, it's mainstream. When you start seeing global issues of carbon, of soil fertility, um, lack of water, lack of arable land, growing world population, all of those mega trends, agriculture's not backseat anymore. Mm. It's interesting. Tell me, like, because that's one part I reckon which is is cool around this working in it, working on it. Like, yeah. did did you ever think that walking away from the farm in those early years that that was your that was the definitive moment that that opportunity would never come back, or did you? Yeah, no, did you? No, it never left me. In fact, that was in a decade after that, less than a decade actually, about six years after that, when I'd been working for the bank, so I got into management and started earning a decent quid, I guess, as a bank manager. Yep. I bought my first farm north of Hamilton in Victoria. You know, I didn't have much, but bought that. Yeah. And I had a lucky break by selling that to um, Blue Gum Company for quite a bit more than I paid for it. Yep. And I transferred from there to an asset at Hay. And uh, so... Um, we did. Uh, we bought a place at Hay from there. 
So we went from sort of 1,200 acres at Hamilton to 24,000 acres at Hay. And was this all strategic? Were you looking at what the next industry, like the next potential boom one was? Like, um, is it? Yes, I was. Um, but you talked about agriculture not leaving you. I yeah. had this desire to build my own place in ag. I couldn't do it with a full-time career and have a cropping business mm-hmm. because it's too needs too much focus and demand. Yeah. And I was only visiting once a month, right? So, but a livestock operation with a really confident manager on where you visited once a month, my strategy was to run the business with a dog and a set of wire cutters, cheap, yep. so that we could make a margin out of it. So it was quite different. Um, but anyway, um, two or three years after that, we bought another 24 or 5,000 acres of hay. That was the time that water was separated from land. So we had another windfall. Mm-hmm and we elected to sell our water at reasonably high prices and bought another block and, and sort of got to a viable size at hay for one man. And then two or three years later, we added another 30,000 acres to it. So over the course of seven or eight years, we'd gone from, oh, less, five or six years, we'd gone from Hamilton at 1,200 acres to 82,000 acres at hay. There you go. Um, and work full time at the same time yeah so i guess that's a, i suppose um if it's in you it's yeah in you. and i, I want to know on that so because you like it, it wasn't like you were just working down a 40-hour work week at um just a local spot in in town or, or in the city like no. you were, you were you were growing a real professional career as well so in yeah. terms of the people that you're getting on on the farm like how did you go finding your workers and and was there certain is there certain characteristics you look for in people that are coming in to join you always um it's about trying to work out how the team works try and find people that are different to you yeah understand your weaknesses right so if you know your weaknesses then you try and hire someone that can fill those gaps yeah so i'm a yeah on the disc profile i'm quite um i'm what they call it an influencer yeah which means i'm big picture and i'm that sort of visionary person that profile is also the most likely person to blow a company up right because that's good because that's where i sit (laughs) yeah but they're not focused on the detail right yeah so you said about hiring a cfo in the business or your science head or anything like that that are really detailed people Mm. so that you don't necessarily have to be over every line in the balance sheet and the profit and loss because the person doing that every day is really detailed and knows their job yeah that's how you, that's what I mean, compensate. So, um, you know, if you're going to run a place remotely from where you work, you really want to hire the person that's going to run it for you that you can work with, but also is going to fit in with the community really well. Yeah. Because that community needs to, you need to work with the community too. Yeah. It's, it's a bloody interesting area. And it's something like I always come back to. Like I know, yeah, I'm a... It's probably similar to you. Big picture thinker. Let's get an idea. Lots of yeah. energy and enthusiasm, but yeah. it's so easy to either lose interest or forget those, those little details. When when do you reckon you started to realise yourself? Like, did you do pro, like did you do professional development programs, or was there things that really opened up in terms of yeah. you understanding who you are? Yeah, it was. I was really lucky in my uh, mid to late twenties. I uh, went on the Australian Rural Leadership Program. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I did. So, 
Maddie Lineger, who's the current CEO, and I are in the same course, Course 7. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that group is still pretty close today. But that was a profound time that I can point to where something changed there at a pretty early age that made me understand myself and my relationships with others. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm, um, I'm taking off to the Kimberleys in two weeks. Good. Yeah. You'll love it. It's oh, good. it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm so. not going to tell you much about it. <laughs> you can work it out when you get there, mate. I ask everyone and they just say, oh, we'll, we'll sit down for a beer and chat about it when you yeah. get back. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, nice, it's a nice segue too. So you go through that program and you, you utilise all you learnt through your career in lots of different settings. Mm. And there's a lovely network of people that went through it with you. And then you get to a stage in life, which is many years later for me, like it's more than 20, I probably should say nudging 30. <laughs> yeah. But where we're now, like a uh, company them in Albury, um, sponsors a position there. There you go. You know, so you do get an opportunity to give back, um, and that's part of it. You know? Do you reckon you had a, uh, it was a bigger influence on your personal life or your professional life? Both. Both, yeah. I went from thinking, you know, mid to late 20s, thinking I knew all about everything. Yeah. And I had all the answers. And I soon realised after about two years that I didn't know much at all. (laughs) (laughs) But it just taught me to be, a, I think, a kinder person, Ollie, a, a, a gentler person, but still get the effects that you want to get. And so what stage, like you're, you're with NAB um, through, through this period, I'm guessing? Yeah, yep, yep. Did, did, you, did you know the impact that you wanted to, to make? Like was the ARLP a key part of discovering more about what's making you tick and what you wanted to do? Oh, I don't think you ever know in life, right? It changes. There's no textbook in life. If I think now what I thought then, it's entirely different. Yeah. You know, every person you meet today will have a different story and a different, it's, and a different outcome. It's really the, those fundamental things you pick up, you know, through programs like that or interactions with others, your learnings, mm-hmm. and they all grow every year and that's what happens. It's pretty straightforward, really. Yeah, if yeah. You're open to listening to what you're hearing. So do you yeah. reckon your passions have changed? Like you, you just, do you, have you followed your different passions with the different businesses and, and stages that have come with that? Um, yeah, look, we've, our passion stayed the same in the sense that I've always wanted to grow things and make them better. Yeah. So in land it was buying it, developing it, on selling it to allow me to reinvest in other things, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the sale of hay to Paraguay at the time was a means of a, educating children that um, were heading into secondary school and living in a remote area, so yep. needed to probably have a proper education. But the other one was that it was the realisation of quite a lot of capital to be able to redeploy into the new phase of our life. Yeah. You know, and that, that took us into investments post farm gate in a large wool and livestock business, um, into investments in agricultural land development and changing its land use and into this pre farm gate business at NEM. Um, yeah, so every stage there's a an opportunity. Yeah. One thing that comes up with like many people that I kind of chat to and uh, I guess within, within our listeners as well is around like this affinity and connection that people have to land. Like what, what did it take for you guys to kind of untie that and be willing to remove yourself from the places you grew up and, and well, sell 
um, country. Well, I, I think I think going our own way was all about the economics of allowing brothers to go their own way and and maintain the family asset down at Moama where we lived and and still there today, and my ability to be able to do my own thing and get back into agriculture in a way that I wanted to, which was you know a dog and a set of wire cutters way of running big area in the north. Yeah. Um, I think if you, when I came to sell that country at Hay, I was I was very sad to sell it because it was a beautiful place. You know, it had Lachlan flood country and it had beautiful saltbush country, fantastic community, mm-hmm. um, and and still today wonderful friends with lots of people there. But I remember at the time I said to someone who I value their advice, I said, what do you think I should do? You know, only in my mid-40s. And they said to me, well, I thought you were mad when you went out there and you, you know, made a fist of it. And it's such an opportunity now, but with your children the age they are and needing education and um, the opportunities in ag, you'd be mad if you didn't. Um, capitalise on the opportunity yeah, and that's what we did but I didn't expect that we would end up six years later in all these different directions Yeah, but they, they've all come together really nicely mm. I want, want to touch on before we come to kind of where you're at now but changing directions and taking opportunities you yeah, you, you you were an agri banker with NAB, and then you took a, stepped into the the business banking side. But then the opportunity came to head overseas, and at that stage, I'm I'm guessing you're still obviously still farming in Australia. Um, yeah, he, yeah. Did you it, the, the thinking behind that? Did you really think, oh God, like what what was the crux that came to in terms of taking that decision to move to South Dakota? Well, I, I'll draw you back to earlier on yeah. when we first moved to Sydney from the bush, right? Yeah, I remember going to Sydney, and my wife's cousins lived in a very nice suburb in Sydney, one of the better ones. And I found myself living in a small flat in this suburb called Double Bay. And near where we lived, there was a bowling club, and we just unpacked the truck in Sydney. And I had a pair of khaki shorts and a pair of work boots on and a blue shirt. <laughs> and I went down to the bowling club on the way to get the groceries, which was just below where I lived. I thought, I'll just have a read when it opens. I might be able to go down and have a beer, right? yeah. meet a few people. And while I was standing there reading this, this very well-dressed lady came up to me and said, excuse me, would you mind moving the hose on the third rink? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, no worries. So I moved it for her. And then she said, you wouldn't mind getting the mats out of the boxes and setting them up for me, would you? I said, yeah, of course, no worries at all. So I did that. <laughs> and, uh, and then she asked me how long I'd worked there. And I said, well, about two minutes. <laughs> So I learnt quickly that things are different in the city um, and then I was trying to catch the New South Head Road bus and I went down really early in the morning on my first day. I thought I'll try and get a jump on everyone here and get into work early, as you do. And uh, I'm standing on the road and the bus goes straight past. Second bus, straight past. Still standing on the side of the road. Only the third bus goes past. I thought, bloody hell, how do you catch these frigging things? Uh, anyway, then a fella came and stood beside me and put his hand out when the next bus came. I thought, perfect, now I know how to catch these things. Oh, So from there, you know, that was a complete change. Um, And then from there, of course, America was a similar thing where we were very well set, comfortable. We had hay running well. We had, uh, living in Sydney, um, I was running all the NAB business in regional New South Wales in. So it was was not agri. I'd been in agri, but I was running the business side. And so I transitioned into business from agri, broadening my scope, I suppose, and got the tap on the shoulder to go over and... Um, be the um, 
deputy vice or second in command of Great Western in South Dakota, which was great, and set up agribusiness over there as we knew it. So that was like pick up the family, three little kids, load them on a plane, go to the other side of the world. I remember leaving Tullamarine, it was February and it was about 38 degrees, and I remember landing in South Dakota and it was minus 15. Oof. I remember slipping ass overhead in Marion Williams Beach, first step out of the, onto the <laughs> outside the airport. So it was all that sort of stuff. And you're thinking, God, this place is going to be good. It was all that stuff, but it was great. Like, it was really an opportunity to grow. But what I learned from that is it's very difficult to do business on the other side of the world um, when you're dealing with different cultures to yourself and you've got to learn them. And that served us well now in NEM, you know, as we grow NEM and we're now operating in Europe and the United States and Latin America... You know, you've got to be cognizant of the cultural differences of the markets you're operating in. Yeah. So again, there's an experience through your career that you nev- never thought that some years later would weave. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Into your current things. Yeah. Incredible. It's funny. I actually had a very similar experience on Oxford Street with a bus. Did you? And I was, I was running late. This is only oh, probably a, a couple yeah. of months ago. Yeah. And I was running late for something I needed to get into the city and they just drove straight past. And I thought, what on earth are you doing? Anyway. <laughs> and then, because I was standing, couldn't have stood closer to the curb and the bloke mm. just took off straight past me. But uh, well, I, remember, I remember a time where we'd had an event in the city and it ran late, like very late. <laughs> and I'd got in a cab and it was pouring rain and I had to get back and I had 10 bucks in my pocket and I got just the city side of King's Cross and I tapped the shoulder of the taxi driver I said pull up mate I'm out of money and I got out and come, walked home in the rain <laughs> because I didn't realise at the time that you could pay for cabs with a credit card yeah. <laughs> so I was on a steep learning curve Ollie when I went to Sydney <laughs> oh god anyway it was good and th- the cultural piece, we'll, we'll get to them in a second though, but um, mm. doing business, working yeah, in, in the US, what was it like? Um, great. It was, it, I mean, we operated predominantly in the Midwest, so it, it was a society very much like Australia, you know, hard-working, rural people. Um, we were strategic about operating in an area we understood and yeah. a sort of philosophical way of thinking like we do. Um, we, that bank was bought... Uh, just before the GFC, and then when the GFC hit, the value of those assets dropped quite a lot, which then, in a very quick time, changed the strategy to trying to acquire other smaller, similar banks mm-hmm. in the footprint. Gotcha. You know, things change, so you change. Yep. Um, so that saw us working, like running the bank and developing agribusiness, but also of an evening with a team going through the opportunity to purchase banks that might be really useful additions. Yeah, well. So that ended up um, an acquisition of a bank in Colorado, one in Nebraska, one in Iowa. Um, yeah, so it was quite a time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was a great, great experience. Um, and today I think 
I don't know how... NAB has sold Great Western since, but at the time, I think they've sold it for quite a deal more than um, quite a good we little started with. So it's been great yeah, for Australian shareholders. Before we get to New Edge Microbials, I want to ask, out of all the different roles and the different businesses and things you've been involved in, is there... Has there been a favourite, um, I guess is the first question, and I'll come yeah. with a follow-up off that. So, yes, um, there are two favourites. One one is obviously that beautiful big open country out west. Yeah. I think from a spiritual point of view, there's nothing better. You know, it comes with its difficulties, but... So that's a favourite on one end of the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other end, it's NEM in the sense that it's taken me all around the world stimulated um, new activity and interests um, and sort of awakened me to the possibility of being at a leading edge thing in a global context. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so either end of the spectrum, there's a favourite for me. Yeah. 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 Tell me, let's jump into New Edge Microbials. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, this business yeah well it's um i might tell you how maybe you, how we found it first yeah. Um, yeah i think that's an interesting story how you came across it yeah yeah we uh, went on a, a tour like a, i'm naturally curious i suppose so i went on the tour to israel to look at water technology again post selling at hay to think what we might invest in at the time water was an issue and i was thinking maybe we could invest in something that's really high tech in saving water Mm-hmm. Um, and so that drew me to Israel and at the time I was there I sort of looked at plant breeding and uh, biologicals in farming and that I came back to Australia and thought I'd better check out whether there's anything in Australia like because I think it's a new opportunity I, I sort of started googling biological farming and I started seeing in Europe that it was flying I could see what was going on in the United States I wonder if there's anything in Australia because usually in Australia we trail the world a bit in some of these new things Yep. Anyway, there were three companies, a little one in Bundaberg, a little one in Forbes and a large one in Albury. And I elected to talk to the owner of the larger one in Albury, who was in his 80s, who was looking to slow up. Um, and through that, we ended up acquiring the majority interest in them. Um, and Sandy, the founder, is still a great shareholder and on the board. And, and we've just said about what turning what is a beautiful family company into basically a company that's run along public company values and principles and staffed that way and yeah i'm keen to know and i guess maybe not many people would find themselves like in this position but so you you identify new edge microbials and you you ask for a coffee or a beer or a meeting with sandy like what was that first meeting like and were you going Um, in just purely from a a curious standpoint no it was it was a matter of fate A, a, a nice fellow made me aware of the opportunity that Sandy might want to sell. Yep. Um, so that was fate, right? Um, so identification one, and then the fate that... I'd, so I had a third party who knew Sandy who, who made the introduction. Yep. And one of their key salespeople. And so I want to ask you on this. Like, <laughs> do you think it was... So you talk about fate and discovering it. Were you putting your ideas out, out there and chatting to people about it, and that's how kind of no, this introduction no it just happened through a conversation yeah you know it's, it's one of those conversations that ticks the box and you say yeah actually I'm interested in that stuff I'd love to go and find out a bit more yeah you know and um, and that led us to that but you know when you think about it 
farmers talk about biologicals being the new thing in agriculture, but we've been applying biological seed inoculants on pulses for the last 20 years in this company. Yeah. Right? We treat 2 million hectares of pulses all over Australia. When, and this is the part which, like, we were just chatting to you before. Like, I, as I was reading more and more about it, and, I, and as you're saying, the pulses, like, we used to throw the inoculant on uh, on faber beans, but I had absolutely no idea that it was a biological piece. Yeah, yeah. So if I use a language biologicals, mm. as a cocky, I'd probably say, I don't like that stuff. Yeah, inoculant. You know, if I say it's inoculant, they say, oh, of course, get it. I get it. So, yep. so now NEM is leveraging all of our knowledge and production capacity to venture out into cereals and all seeds, which are much bigger crops globally. Mm-hmm. Um, so our business now has gone from uh, you know, traditionally focused legume market in Australia to now exporting to Europe, the United States, Latin America in soybean and peanut inoculants, mm-hmm. you know, the chosen big crops over there that we want to focus on. Um, and we've also investigated and uh, I guess acquired the best science that was done in Australia over the last 30, 40 years in the scientific application around uh, cereals and all seeds. So we're probably one of a few companies only in the world that can take a bacteria from a pick and grow it up in a starter and produce 10,000 litres of it and have it in a box out to the world's farmers or in a freeze-dried vial or in peat or in a granule. Yep. There are lots of startups that and, and companies that are in what I call big R. You know, they, they develop the research. They spend a lot of time in discovery. In this case... 20 or 30 years to discover the right elite strains to improve crops. Mm-hmm. Some claim to do it faster, but they stumble when they get to the D phase, you know, the commercialization of taking it from a laboratory to hundreds of thousands of litres of it a year and hundreds of tonnes yep. in shipping containers. Like that, that's, that's, that's 10 to 20 years and tens of millions of dollars to get from the laboratory to the customer. Yep. And I think... It's not something to underestimate that that um, you can have the most wonderful idea, but you actually have to be able to produce it at scale yep. and deliver it to the world's farmers. And, and that's that's the hard bit. And so breaking down, well, just a, a, for I'll say for me, the idiot's yep. guide to, yep. to biologicals. Can you tell yep. us, yeah, what is it and how right. how they made? Yeah, right. So think of think of soils, mm-hmm. right? In the soils all around the world there's beneficial bacteria and harmful bacteria beneficial fungus harmful some crops thrive so rhizobia in legumes is one of those beneficial bacteria right it infects and colonizes legumes roots and it fixes nitrogen yep right so a farmer spends ten dollars a hectare uh, by by inoculating as opposed to three hundred dollars a hectare on nitrogen right so it's got a real economic benefit um which is great um and it has a plant benefit, it gets better yields. So you start looking for those beneficial bacteria. So the traditional way and the way we do it today is, is we dig up soil and we look at all the bacteria and fungus that's in that soil and we try and identify those elite things that impact crop yield or manage abiotic stress or fix carbon or, or fix nitrogen or all the main issues for Australian well, world farmers. Mm-hmm. But if you can imagine, so where do you sample the soil and how many gazillion bugs are in soil and which ones are you going to select? And yep. that's, that's what we've set out to do, to pick up all of that research for the last 30 or 40 years that are in CSIRO and those institutions 
Gotcha. That, that work's been done. Yeah. A lot of it, right? So now we transfer that into applied projects to see how they're performing in field mm-hmm. and get them into a box. Yeah, right. Right. So instead of just doing research projects, we've got partnerships with these unis and with CIRO and yep. others. And our promise is that if we produce something, a royalty goes back to those partners every year on every box is sold everywhere around the world forever. So at the moment we're contributing as a group who own NEM, and by that it's close-knit shareholders and staff, about five million a year into research and this coming out of company profits, right? Yeah. Um, that's a five-year program, so it's 25 million that we're putting into it. And of course the research partners are putting in current, so you may as well say 50 million going into this space. Mm-hmm. It's about high-yielding crops in, you know, in, in climate change, so lower rainfall, yep. fixing more soil carbon, which is a big issue in terms of retaining moisture, and early crop establishment to get a crop out of the ground early and, and apply less fertilizer, uh, less chemicals perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, and the last one is sort of getting into high horticulture bar control that we're taking through to registration. Mm. So it's 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 a big job, and if you you know a long way to do it. But um, it's like saying all of that research was sitting there, and all those really good people. How can we bring that to life? And they're still associated with it. Mm. Like the ones who's have built this up and learned it and researched it for years are still in the projects. Yeah. So it's yeah it's. You got a, it's not just a it's not just a small team. Well, I say like your business, you've got quite a few people, but it's actually you've got a lot of supporters around the place. Oh yeah, 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 like like ecosystem. Yeah, like in four years we've gone from what twelve employees to nearly sixty. Yeah, um, and the business is growing at twenty five percent year on year, which implies it's got a, it doubles every four years. Yeah. Um, uh, but then you start thinking. Of, so that's the business. But then you're running a really complex R and D program that has to be run tightly you know, within a budget to get an outcome. Mm. Um, and then you've got the development of international markets and all the regulatory framework you've got to get through and your trials overseas. So our international fellow, Mick McLaughlin, in Singapore manages all that. But beforehand, that was all done after hours. Yeah. You know, till you can get... This is a, the lesson in this chat. You've got to sort of put in the hard yards first to get the business to a scale where you can start employing other people that can do all those jobs that you were doing at night mm. to free you up to think about how you're going to create more value in the company later. And that's what yeah. like, well, I'm keen to, dis- to yeah. discuss on this from your background and experience because it's something which I guess I'm finding, like if I think, say, Humans of Ag I've been working on in three years in the background, like very yeah. much like have been able to think strategically, have been able to think and execute operationally, whereas now I'd say after stepping into it full-time, I've gone very... Um, operational but like so so for people and i'm not alone i'm just an yep. example of a business yep. like do did you wait for the timing to be right for signals or did you go right let's just make a decision and go that's we need um, someone in this seat we've got the luxury of seeing our future growth you know we know what our we've got a traditional growth in the company yeah and we know what our new growth looks like over the next four or five years even if we don't bring anything out of R&D. This is just our core business. And so can I ask a really dumb question? Yeah. How do you know what your future <laughs> growth looks like? Because we've got forward orders and we've got long-term contracts. Yep. That have minimums in them, so that underpins the business. 
Clever. So, um, therefore, you can predict with some accuracy what your production needs to be and what you, you know, your human capital, the amount of people you need to do it. Yeah. So you've got a rough idea, but what it says to you is you've got to invest in those before it hits. Yeah. Right? So, so in the last, you know, if you think about it, you know, uh, our whole leadership team is under 42. Um, it's a mix 50-50. Our CFO's 29. Our in-house counsel's 35 and done lots of large mergers and acquisitions and handles all our contracts for us. Um, our head of R&D is 42 and had 20 years in soil science. Yeah. Our head of formulation is sort of late 30s, who's had 14 years in formulation technology. I've gone about finding young, smart people that can really work together and bring their skills around the table. They've got a lot of runway, mm-hmm. and they, long before we actually needed them. Yeah. Right? So you can, you know, maybe a year before they, all their time's taken up, but they've got a year to learn yeah. and a good team. And their workload might be 50% to start with, and it gets to 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 as the business grows. Perfect. But when you're in a regional setting, and Albury's a good regional setting to bring people to because it's such a good city. Yeah. But when you're in a regional setting, you can't really wait for when you're ready to hire the right person. Mm. You see them swim past and you say, I've got to have them now. I'll deal with what we're going to do later. Yeah. But when I want them, they won't be here. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a different mindset that we've got to have in the bush. And we actually have to have a bit of reserve in the cash flow to take advantage of those opportunities. Yep. Right? I remember watching a video of a production system and our sales team was saying, gee, look at that production system, that looks really good. And the person presenting that was very knowledgeable and I said, bugger the production system, I'm hiring her. So she knew how, how it all worked and put it all together. So. Um, that production system wouldn't be what it is without her input putting it together, you see. Yeah. And what's it like to be growing a, a, a global business from a regional setting? It's all right. You can get on the Dash 8 in Albury and check your bags to Vienna or Los Angeles. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. I don't have to fight the traffic or the queues like in yeah. Sydney or Melbourne. <laughs> um, I joke about it. It's, look, with modern communications now, it's fine. Yeah. You know, like I think COVID taught us that businesses can be run on a big screen in a boardroom the other side of the world I must say I get very fatigued by the end of a week of solid zooms or and my days are long like you know most days we'll start five-ish you know with a call overseas to a client or something and we're still going at maybe eight or nine o'clock at night with various things that are going on not constant Ollie but just always you've got to work in time zones and various things and yeah um so Albury's fine to run a business out of um, because of the freight network. So it'll be double, you know, a freight goes past about every seven minutes. We can get air freight out of Albury anywhere in the world in a day. Um, wow. You know, we can, sometimes it's not massively big. Otherwise we send it to Sydney or Melbourne by courier and put it on a big plane there. But you still only need two or three days to get out of the country. Yeah. Um, so... It's a really good spot, and a number of our key young staff, like that are 
what I call the value creators, like the the leadership team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our COO has come from being a CEO of a very large company in New Zealand. Our CFO has worked for a large firm in Sydney. Our in-house counsel has come from um, large legal firm. Um, our head of productions come from a very large international owned company yeah um, all these people are in young um, I mean we have an analyst who's in her 20s who was working with RBS and every time you read an article or something of interest rather than having to read and understand that at night you know Constance can pull all that together for you and give you a one-page summary on the whole status of it globally in 24 hours which is helps you make good decisions yeah so that's what I'm saying in little old Aubrey you can you can you can actually attract this good talent and you yeah it sounds like you've got a pretty remarkable team sitting around you guys well it's deliberate yeah yeah yeah, it's deliberate it's about actually getting them in the right spot that bringing in the new faces and and creating so, so when Sandy was running it before you stepped in, was it a global business or was it just... No, no, it was just a domestic business. Yeah. And so what, what stayed the same in the business and what's, what have you had to change? So uh, the culture of the business has stayed the same in terms of hard work ethic and looking after our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. We looked at... It's four years in and we had a team meeting of the whole team recently and I asked the question... Uh, how many have been here less than 12 months? And 50% of the staff stood on one side of the room. And I said, how long, how many people have been here? Five years, right, when we took it over. That's where the other 50% went. And there were four long-term NEM employees in the middle of the room. Now, that's just because we've put a lot of people on for growth. Yeah. But, so the faces have changed, but the capabilities um, allowed us to go into these new markets and new frontiers. I think Sandy would never have contemplated going into big R&D projects on his own. I think with partners, he's really enthused by it. Yeah. But partners bring the ability to run the business really tightly on business lines. Mm -hmm. They bring capital and they help defray the risk. Yeah. You know, but look, being in business is risky, right? doesn't matter who we talk to or whatever business you want to go you look around this field day site right everyone's made an investment here at some stage yeah. to build a business and it comes with inherent risk right every day yeah market risk you know capital staff all that stuff production yeah. like this is the most NEM would have to be the most complex small business I've ever seen in my life you know because it's it's got science and research and production and high barriers to entry and proprietary formulations and and you know and and then you've got regulations and trials and data and 800 distributors and you know for a small a smallish business <laughs> yeah. like it's really complex Ollie maybe small medium <laughs> yeah small medium yeah 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 really complex yeah. And so what's next for you guys? You talked about the growth. You you mentioned uh, only briefly, but so just in terms of the markets that you guys are operating in. So you're in Australia. Wh- yeah. Where else are you guys selling product into? Uh, we're selling into the United States, into Europe and Latin America now. Yeah. So that's been a three-year program. 
Yeah. You know, you can't just send uh, exotic bacteria into foreign companies, uh, countries. Yeah. You've got to go through the right protocols. The same this way, you can't bring foreign bacteria into Australia. Yeah. So it's a, like it's a large investment to get into those markets because you're really investing to open the doorways before you sell a box. You know, so you've got to take a long-term view. Mm. And I think not every business, uh, you know, is about long-term view. Sometimes people's approach to business is, you know, a quick valuation increase and I'm out of here. Yeah. Cash in, cha-ching, goodbye. You know, ours is, no, let's build businesses for the long, long term that become uh, big established household brands um, that go on long before, long after we're gone. And off the back of that, like for the business, uh, I guess I'm thinking like the, the questions around what does success look like, but also what's the what's the impact of a successful NEM business? Yeah, okay. Well, there's a number of levels in there. So if you look at cultural and people, mm-hmm. all those ripping young people we've got have got 15 years of runway in the best years of NEM's time yep. in terms of building the business and the risks and the fun that they can have. Unreal. Not everyone gets an opportunity like that. Yep. Most people bring their lunch to work at the same time every day yeah, and leave at the same time. So they don't get that, you know, that, 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 that uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, adrenaline of being on your toes, building something and going. Um, so there's a cultural piece. Um, there's a performance piece. I mean... If I look out in the future, I can see them almost is well, largest sort of agricultural fermenter in Australia now. You know, growing more. Um, I can see us into the bigger crops. So, you know, if you think we do two million hectares today and we're going to do 20 in wheat in Australia, that implies this business has to be 10 times bigger than it is today. Mm. So, if you do the maths on that. Um, and we're talking about the next five to ten years, NEM um, has the capacity to be um, maybe, and I'm going to look out in my crystal ball, um, in the top ten agribusinesses in the AFX, maybe in the top 50. And our ambition is to actually open up the share register to the community when we know that this science is on the go so that we can um, let Australians celebrate. It's pretty cool. I think I sit down with lots of people, Ben, but there's probably not many that I sit across and that like, I'm just like, I want to work for you. (laughs) 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 Uh, Look, it's, um, it's about having that direct purpose and being fair, Ollie. Yeah. You know, like agriculture's small. You've been in it a long time, eh? And, and you do not grow a business in agriculture unless you're a solid citizen. Yeah. You know, um, what you say you do. You know, the temptation is to run out and engage a massive public relations team, Mm. marketing team, and bang the drum. And so many companies do this, and they fail to deliver. So it's all about having the poise and the courage to say no. Mm. When someone looks at what you do and says, oh, God, this is massive, mate. You could actually make a squeeing and say well maybe but we're not ready to do that yeah we actually got more things to do which is around foundations yeah and you know we'll see what happens after that oh um, it sounds you know, pretty exciting oh well it is i mean it, it, it it's it is amazing you know i can see um i can see it being quite 
quite fun. <laughs> um, you know, it has it has its moments. Don't you worry. Like uh, you don't you don't do something profound unless you hit a stump or two on the way through. I think. Mm. Um, you know, and I'd say that that's what we're striving to do is something profound. Yeah. Um, not driven by the money at all, but just doing something profound for Australian agriculture. So um, we've been tried to acquired by, you know, like foreign, few foreign approaches to acquire them because of the high barriers to entry in the market share and things that we've got. Um, and, you know, I've had a really clear message. I've just said that this company has the privilege of having some of the best Australian scientists and Australian science in its care. And as long as we're the majority shareholders, it'll never be foreign owned. Yeah. And that, that's our position. I've got a couple of questions which I want to wrap on. One being, yeah. um, so, so I've uh, in the last few months talked with a, a startup Australian business as well. They're making um, compostable cling wrap out of uh, yeah. potato waste. I've seen it. It looks great. great. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Um, their question was, and I think interestingly, because you guys have, you've done it, you've hit the export market, but when you're bringing a new... Pr- when you're bringing an Australian product into new international markets, what what is the the messaging and how are you guys approaching that? Like, what yeah, what's the, what's the the thinking behind and how should more broadly Australian businesses, be, when they're looking and moving into export markets, yeah. be talking about brand Australia or whatever it might be? Yeah, right, right. So interestingly enough, we don't we don't leverage brand Australia at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we we. Uh, we demonstrate the efficacy of our products by going into trial head-to-head with American products or European products. Mm-hmm. And we go into field trials and we prove that they work. You know, and that's independently done. Like yep. It's not our data, it's independent parties we put together to do it. And I think the other thing is that we've got a big product suite, you know, yep. and all sorts of formulations. But we've identified that, you know, um, compact little freeze-dried vials of inoculant, so 30 grams, the equivalent to three litres of traditional inoculant, yep. or two and a half kilos of peat inoculant, that 30-gram vial can whip around the world cheaply, mm. right? And one of the world's big crops is soybean and peanut. So let's just focus on one product, a vial, and two crops. Whereas here in Australia, we've got every legume species you want, um, you know, all formulations. So my advice is think about what you can take into a market where you've got an advantage yeah. and then leverage it. That, that, that rap has got an advantage everywhere. It's very absolutely. good. Very clever. Yeah. Um, and a question which I ask absolutely everyone that comes on the podcast, Ben, is yeah. if you get the chance to go, or you get the chance to go and talk to Year 10 students about a career in agriculture today, yeah. What What's your message to them about why they should consider working in agriculture? It's the best career in the world. You know, it can take you anywhere. Oh, we just had a chat where it can take you. And I've listened to so many podcasts. You know, people who are in agriculture, they've gone in all directions. Yeah. Right. It can take you so many places. And really, I'd say to them, you know, what do you love first? Right. And they say, I like mechanics. Good. You can be in agriculture. What do you love? I love art. Good. You can be in agriculture. You can be creative about creating brand work for agricultural companies. Uh, I love animals. Good. You can be in agriculture. You can be a vet. You can look after animals. Um, oh, I'm into um, the environment. 
Okay, well, you can be in agriculture because agriculture needs. So let's start with a question, what do you love? Mm. And let them tell us and then let's do a thing. So um, I did a thing recently. It's a good question because I did a thing with Year 10s where I had a chat to them. And uh, the overriding theme out of the Year 10 cohort when they were talking about career choices was being involved in climate, in the environment, or in community service as a career. Mm -hmm. Very few people spoke about agriculture. But if you think about agriculture, it's environment, it's climate, it's community service, and it's growing stuff. So they're interested. I just don't think they know about ag as a career. Mm. Exactly. No, Mm. I completely agree. I think it is looking at you. That question, which it might even just be um, a future question, but have you have you got a question that you'd like me to ask a future guest at some stage uh, on the podcast? How do you find time to really think about the strategic things that take you forward? It's one of the hardest things to do, and that's why I think it's a relative question for all your guests that you've had and ones coming. Mm. Because that investment, at the time you think, how am I going to find that? I haven't got time to do that. But that investment could be the difference between um, pedalling the bike hard or um, taking a new direction or slightly different. Yeah. So ask them that question, Ollie. How do you find time to really think about strategy? Lovely. Well, Mm. Ben, thank you so much for sitting down and having a yarn. It's been uh, fascinating. Thank you. Pleasure, mate. If it was later, we'd have a beer. You've got one, one next to your leg. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. It has been freezing out here at the Riverine Plains Innovation Expo, but it's been an unreal couple of days. If you enjoyed this podcast um, and, and you'd like a deep dive into the whole microbial sp- space, please let us know. We can cover and do a bit of a deep dive looking for, to understand who's involved in it, what does it mean, how can people get started with it on their farms, what are some of those opportunities, as well as if you're looking for a job, what are some of the types of roles that these businesses have. So if it's something you're interested in, please get in touch with us, hello at humansofagriculture.com, or if you're a social media user, jump on your socials and just get in touch with us there. To find out more about Ben and New Edge Microbials, follow the links in our show notes. As always, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Can't wait to see you again next week. Look after yourselves, stay safe, and most importantly, stay sane. Have a good one.